You're listening to Radically Pragmatic, a podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute. We talk with lawmakers, policy experts, and thought leaders about the issues driving the news nationally and internationally. The Progressive Policy Institute is a catalyst for policy innovation and political reform with offices in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. Its mission is to create radically pragmatic ideas for moving America beyond ideological and partisan deadlock. We encourage analytical conversations, not your typical partisan talking points. Hi, my name is Colin Mortimer, and you're listening to Radically Pragmatic. We have a great episode for you today. It's a condensed version of a conversation that PPI held last week about cryptocurrency and how involved Congress should be in regulating such an unprecedented technology. We are lucky enough to have Congressman Jake Auchincloss of Massachusetts join us to offer his perspective on the issue. And before we dive into the conversation, I wanted you to hear what he had to say. Uh, as you intimated, Colin, I come to Congress by way of the tech sector. I was the director of the MIT 100K Entrepreneurship Competition when I was an MBA student there, where I was running an organization that saw literally hundreds of tech-driven startups uh, be judged, mentored, funded, launched, uh, and then went into the cybersecurity sphere as a product manager for a startup, and then into the incubator of a, of a large insurance company where we worked on a whole host of products for the PNC industry. And in all those roles, I really primarily wore the hat of a product manager. And a product manager is meant to be almost aggressively agnostic as to the technology that underpins any given product or solution, and is instead meant to be entirely focused on the customer pain point, the solution that needs to be delivered, and constantly pressing the tech and engineering departments of your company. I don't care whether it's scotch tape or Python or blockchain, you solve this problem for these customers better than the competitors can. That's what's going to get this product into market. That's what I get, that's what's going to get us product market fit, that holy grail of startups. And that mindset, I think, is beneficial to me now that I'm in Congress. Because while I've done a lot of homework on blockchain and, and crypto and, and Web3 and, and understanding the true technical differentiators between Web3 and Web2, digital scarcity and data portability uh, and transparency of the public ledger, important technical differentiators for previous protocols. At the end of the day, as the vice chair of the Financial Services Committee, I'm agnostic as to the commercial prospects of Web3. That's not my role. That is the role of people like Dante, who, who are pioneering in the private sector to figure out the use cases and to deliver innovation that delights customers, changes markets, disrupts industries. My job as the, as the vice chair of the Financial Services Committee and as a member of Congress is to uphold market integrity, to protect consumers from fraud and abuse, and to create a regulatory sandbox in which industry can thrive, uh, in which participants in a marketplace can transact with confidence, uh, and in which the United States can lead the world in innovation. Congress, although we are moving deliberately, uh, is moving forward on these fronts. We've gone from a position a year ago, two years ago, when you know, a lot of my colleagues probably were, were Googling what, uh, what Bitcoin was. 
to a place where when the financial services committee is asking questions of industry leaders, they are thoughtful, they are digging deep, um, and they are surfacing real clear and present next steps. And I think we're seeing increasing alignment both between the administration and Congress that the most important next step for us is stablecoin auditing and disclosure. That for our markets to function effectively, for the United States to be able to attract the best entrepreneurs and grow world leading businesses here at home, we've got to have a regime for stablecoin auditing and disclosure that is easy to comply with and that guarantees that if you are asserting that you've got a token backed by a dollar or any other currency that you can prove that and thereby uh, allow stable coins to be used as a currency in the, in the crypto realm. It's my strong preference and my, and my dedicated work over the next months and years that this legislation be organic with the industry and that it be collaborative and what I call pre-partisan. So by organic with the industry, what I mean is there's 150 different things right now that are floating around in terms of problems that could be solved or regulatory issues that are emerging. Trying to come up with a grand stratagem around all of them all at once, I think is a very fragile and even brittle approach. If you had tried to do that with the dot-com industry in 1992, I think you would have one, not gotten the problems right, and two, potentially thwarted some really important game-changing innovation. Instead, we should be looking at the clear and present next step the clear problem that stakeholders and industry and the administration and the regulators and Congress can all agree is the real problem, stable coordinating and disclosure. Solve that problem thoughtfully and thoroughly. And by the time we finish solving it, probably half the problems that we thought we had right now will have been solved organically and another whole new crop will have emerged. And by regulating organically in tandem with the development of the industry, we get much more resilient and sustainable regulatory architecture in which entrepreneurs can thrive as opposed to entire edifices that really can become a house of cards and collapse and that decrease certainty for those who are putting time, capital, talent uh, on the table. I'd also like to keep this pre-partisan. Right now, we haven't yet kind of put on the jerseys about what side is what for, for crypto regulation. And I think that's healthy because there's no need for this to become a political football. This is something that thoughtful members on both sides of the aisle should be able to roll up their sleeves and work together on. Uh, I'm certainly working in that fashion and, and would like to see that we can get uh, Democrats and Republicans on board with uh, a long-term regulatory architecture for, the, for Web3. And I'll, I'll close here, having given sort of the set of challenges I think that government needs to, to meet the moment for, with a call to, to action and a challenge for industry, which is, and here I'm wearing my product, mark, product manager's hat again. There have been strong assertions made by entrepreneurs that you're gonna challenge high finance and Wall Street and disrupt that industry. And that you're gonna challenge big tech with data portability and, and transparency and disrupt that industry. Uh, and, I would encourage you to, as, as you are maturing as an industry to make good on those promises and to demonstrate why Web3 is gonna solve some of the problems that have emerged in Web2 and why the natural impulse to centralize and sometimes centralization is always gonna be key is not gonna recreate the issues that we saw in the, in the transition from Web1 to, one, to Web2. Hey, it's Colin again. 
The congressman provided some really insightful comments about cryptocurrency, and it ignited a truly dynamic discussion amongst the rest of our panel. Michael Mandel, PBI's vice president and chief economist, moderated the conversation and was joined by Dante Desparte of Circle, Kirsten Wegner of the Modern Markets Initiative, and Michael Katz from Digital Currency Group. As business leaders in the field, their perspectives were invaluable as the conversation flowed. Be sure to check out the full panel event on our website, progressivepolicy.org, and follow us on Twitter at PPI. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the episode. The big questions we're going to sort of look at today is who should regulate, why, and what does it matter? And Kirsten, why don't you start first? Great. Well, thank you so much for having me, Michael. This is a great group of people. And but I think, look, I don't know that there has been clear consensus among industry on who should be the regulator, right? Some people have put out blueprints that there should be a new regulator for crypto. I personally feel like having worked with the CFTC and SEC for several decades now, that they are more than capable of regulating this industry. If anything, there's just maybe a need for some clarification on authority. We heard Chair Benham speak last week before Senate Ag about the need to have authority to um, from Congress to regulate and have access to the spot markets for cash um, crypto so they could actually do surveillance. I thought it was pretty alarming, and I guess we realize this already, but that the fines assessed so far by the CFTC on crypto have been the result of whistleblowers because the CFTC does not yet have that technology to actually surveil the markets, which I think they should. Um, and so I very much am in support of the pre-partisanship of the Eliminate Barriers to Innovation Act, which I believe passed as part of a defense bill last year. I think as far as I know, we're waiting for it to pass the Senate, but that is a great bill because it puts together, well, first of all, it's bipartisan, strong Democrat support but all, and Republicans, but also puts together this working group of the SEC and CFTC and private industry to really um, come up with suggestions as they are in the right place to do this. And then this may be a little bit revolutionary to raise here, but I would suggest it's time to look at the foreseeable long-term cost of regulating this industry that both the CFTC and the SEC should have the funding to be able to regulate this. And I would like to point out, and this has been very controversial over the years, definitely a partisan issue that you know the CFTC is the only financial regulator right now that doesn't have that self-funding. You know, the SEC has their section 31 fees. The CFTC still doesn't have that. And I think they should not have to go back each year to ask Congress for their budget. And a couple of years ago, it was cut by like 10%. Like, they can't just cut their staff and technology. You know, the SEC has excellent um, surveillance unit. They have DIRA. They have great technology that they have built up through the course of their budget and long-term planning. So, you know, short answer there is I think both the SEC and CFTC can be very um, important regulators. And I think funding should definitely be a question. Maybe funding modernization at the SEC too, right? The SEC's budget so far is um, based on 31 fees, which is trading activity. You know, credit rating agencies and crypto are also areas they regulate that um, don't pay in. And then both agencies are revenue positive. Like if we care about the bottom line, I just pulled the numbers. You know, the SEC budget was 1.9 billion. Well, guess what? They they assessed twice as many fines last year. It was four I think over four and a half billion dollars in fines that goes to the general treasury. But at the end of the day, they're net positive, right? The CFTC has actually done a very impressive job. Their budget was 394 million and they actually assess 1.4 billion in penalties and fines. So I think we need to fund both of these regulators. They're 
doing a lot right now. And I think, you know, if you look at the crypto industry generally, right, like there are over 12,000 different types of cryptocurrency. And I personally, not to like simplify it too much, define cryptocurrency as a digital asset on a blockchain, right? That digital asset could be a currency. It could be a commodity. It could be much like an equity and let the regulators decide that. That is not the role for Congress to decide. That is something that should go through the whole uh, notice and rulemaking process that we have in place already. So I think the sooner we can get clarity on who regulates what, the better. I think that working group is an A plus. I think that's a home run. It may not settle all the issues. And then I think we have to give them the money to do their job. We need a strong cop on the beat. And at the end of the day, it doesn't have to be a balance between innovation and regulation. They can go hand in hand. And the more clear the regulation is, the better the reg tech industry that will be there to flourish, to help independent companies comply with regulation. That, that, was, that, that, was, that was great. And, and you, you know how to sort of win a regulator's heart by telling them that they need more money. Dante, um, why don't you take a shot? So I come from a place of risk and resilience, right? So up until very recently, I served on national on FEMA's National Security um, or National Advisory Council. And if you think about the things that you cannot do with your money in the context of COVID-19, uh, then, you, then you really fully and deeply understand what animates Circle's mission as a company, that you should be able to import and upload the dollar, the same experience that you and I once had when we turned our CDs into MP3s. You suddenly had programmability and control over how you could use your music, but the music was still safely stored in its native form in your drawer or in your bank. I think the concept of stable coins existing that are trusted, that are prudentially regulated, and that are fulfilling unfulfilled work and incomplete work in the global financial system because our brick and mortar banks have reached a point of diminishing returns. Wall Street serves people who have sufficient capital to withstand loss. And we do a lot of harm in our country as we do around the world under the guise of consumer protection. Uh, so, so I want to hear uh, Representative Auchincloss's call to action that Web3 has to have a higher standard of fulfilling promises that have not been kept by web one, web two, and then to do so meaningfully in a well-regulated manner is also a high standard as well. So I completely subscribe to what, what um, Kirsten was outlining at the outset. But then I would also argue that if the number of licenses held by a company is a proxy for being well-regulated, then Circle as a business is amongst the, what, the best regulated on the planet. We are licensed akin to companies like PayPal, Many early crypto companies, often to their peril, ignored the pre-existence of agencies like the CFTC or the SEC or state money transmission regulators. And I'm afraid that our country, unless we come to terms with the operating reality that the states have been the laboratory for responsible financial services innovation in America, then we're going to end up in a fintech constitutional crisis. So pre-partisan is the right approach. But the stakes are not just domestic, the stakes are global. The United States is competing in a very fierce, pitted digital currency space race. As a company and as a leader, I've been making this call out loud and Circle went as loud as saying we're going to put a full page national ad campaign in place to say this is how you win the digital currency space race. For some, winning it is prescriptive and the government must pick technology winners and losers or the government must stand between you and your wallet and how you spend your money at all levels eroding privacy and you know, entering the specter of deplatforming people from their money. In our view, the best way to win a digital currency space race is to spur responsible financial services innovation and competition, but to keep a vibrant private sector as a part of what that looks like. And the time, talent, and treasure represented in the $2.6 trillion crypto assets market 
is exactly the kind of innovation and exactly the kind of entrepreneurs we want to harness here in the United States. So I've been I've been party to all of the major hearings on this topic since 2019. I was myself just in the hot seat in the Senate very recently in, in December of last year. And I think we're now at a point where you could start to see that consensus coming to play. Uh, the PWG, the President's Working Group on Financial Markets, has asked Congress for additional authorities to regulate this domain. I think what we like the most of the PWG's recommendations is that it acknowledged that stable coins as an innovation, granting that not all of them are created equal, belong under prudential regulatory frameworks, like for like. One of the best standards regulators set is same risk, same rules, technology neutrality. Yet I often find that much of the conversation does not like the technology because of what it may empower, but what it empowers is the feature, not the bug. Digital assets that empower people that are democratizing and that level the playing field from Wall Street down to Main Street and to empower us in novel ways in how we send, spend, save, and secure our money are uniquely American in their ideals and they should be embraced in the United States. Uh, Michael, take a shot. Thanks, Michael. I think that regulators have a tough job when any new and innovative technology like crypto, Web3, blockchain comes along. And uh, we continue to be impressed with, with their level of engagement and, with, and <clears throat> with their ability to become smart on this space considering how quickly it evolves. You know, we all spend our days deep in the trenches on these issues, and uh, it's still a challenge to stay on top of all the evolution and all the growth and all the technological innovation that's going on in this space. So I really do commend the, the forward-thinking regulators who are doing their best to try to get smart and do it the right way. Um, and I think that what we want to see is rather than regulation by enforcement, we want something more akin to, to what happened in the 90s with the birth of the internet. You know, there was a do no harm approach that fostered innovation that allowed the United States to become the hub of the internet and all of the economic, geopolitical, national security benefits that flowed from that. And I think we're now on the verge of this, this iteration of the internet into Web3. And it's incredibly important for the United States, as, as Dante mentioned, to maintain its global competitiveness and to maintain its position vis-a-vis -vis China and other actors as the global center for the future of the internet. And when you think about that and you think about how important that is, that doesn't mean that there's no space for regulation. We're eager to partner and be responsible partners with politicians, with regulators who want to build a system that is a better financial system, that brings in the unbanked and the underbanked, that incentivizes green energy, that enhances privacy, data security, transparency, that enables a better system for our society to function in all of those areas, right? So that's, it's the financial realm, it's, it's the consumer realm, it's the data and privacy realm, it's all of it. And I think that we really believe that you can do that in a way that protects consumers, protects investors, protects the environment while fostering innovation, while allowing industry to thrive. And I personally am really excited to, to work together with Dante, with, Chris, with Kirsten on promoting these issues because it, it really is incredibly exciting and it's incredibly important. I think we're at a pivot point right now and we can really do great things as, as an industry and as a country, or we could be left behind. And I don't think anyone really wants that. So uh, I'm excited to, 
to work with the industry and the regulators and the political leaders to get there. Terrific. Thank you very much. First question is, um, everybody on the panel is, is happy to work with the regulators. That's a good sign. Okay. What is the biggest mistake that the Biden administration should try to avoid as it lays out its regulatory framework? What is the one thing, if you could sort of whisper in their ear and tell them one thing to avoid, what would you tell them? I mean, conceptually, I would say to avoid being too prescriptive and to keep things more principles-based and to really give the regulators a lot of, I'd say, discretion and authority to promulgate laws. Because I'll tell you this, like things are going to change. They've changed so quickly already. We already have, of that 2.6 trillion dollar market, Dante noted, I think 1.5% are NFTs. As that industry matures, there are going to be whole new issues that may be more consumer related or IP related, we don't know yet, that will emerge. And if we make things too prescriptive right now, we will not um, kind of leave room open for those regulators to pivot and adjust. So I think principles-based rather than too prescriptive. The good news is when you when you say it out loud and you take out national ads, you don't have to whisper it. I, I would say- Okay, good, good I, to know, hear that. I, I would say the stakes are high. And, and the, I cannot underscore enough the, the sort of geopolitical and geoeconomic implications of us living in a society that does not have mobile native payments at scale and that could not mobilize the 6.6 plus trillion dollars of taxpayer funds to our population because the rails are antiquated and leaky and opaque. That's a national security vulnerability. No outside country visited that upon the United States. That is a lack of competition in payments and moving money. So, so that message, I think, would be the one I would share with the administration. The other one is don't, don't create policies or executive orders in a void of talking to industry. Hopefully, on the other side of this executive order, industry is convened. There's a reason funds like Andreessen Horowitz and others are tripling down, uh, and DCG and, and, and others are tripling down in this industry. These are very, very smart U.S. investors that must be onto something, right? The very progenitors of web one are making long bets on web three. And I think creating policy in a void of industry at the table is problematic. That's an easy fix as well. We're all here. None of us are afraid of being regulated. Everyone who's present, I think represents a different corner of the market, but, but the policy discussion today is in a void of industry at the table. And we need a whole of government approach and a whole of industry approach to get it right. I would also just add the watchword for me would be watch words would be clarity and transparency. And I think, you know, a lot of players in the industry are trying very hard to get right with the law and figure out how, how they can work with regulators. And there is a lack of clarity and a lack of transparency right now with some of the regulatory agencies that is holding back industry and holding back America in, in this next Web3 world. You know, we have a, a trust crisis in, a, in institutions right now. America and, and across the globe. And part of that is because people feel like they don't know what's going on, they don't know why, they don't know what. And if you have regulatory agencies uh, handing down decisions from on high without actually providing reasoning uh, or, or transparency into their decision-making, you're going to worsen the uh, trust deficit. You're going to undermine the very mission of these institutions, which is to protect consumers, protect investors. And I think we can, put the focus back on clarity and transparency and do a lot of good. Let me, let me ask you, we're talking about this as a competitiveness question. What other countries are potentially doing a better job of regulation 
and it could be sort of small countries that are that are not potential real rivals to the U.S., but actually are sort of good examples, or it could be larger countries that have the potential to be a better home. Uh, Dante, why don't you go first? Well, there, there are a number of jurisdictions and countries on the planet that you could argue whether they're direct competitors to the United States or not have been absolute leaders in embracing uh, this, embracing and being early in, in identifying Web3 as an opportunity. Uh, one of the leading lights is Bermuda, which, you know, while small, 65,000 people strong, the Atlantic outpost, uh, nonetheless has really had a whole of government approach and a very comprehensive regulatory and legal framework that does not give the industry a pass because this is an industry that's fraught with regulatory arbitrage risk and a race to the bottom in some corners of the industry. But Bermuda would be an example where it's comprehensive Digital Assets Business Act early set a tone for enabling the industry and set a tone for risk-based um, underwriting of that industry. Now, there are other places on the planet. Europe is another example. The Europeans have a 600 plus page body of law coming into force called the Markets and Crypto Assets Framework. We have a 23 page policy recommendation from the president's working group. Now, GDP, MICA as it's known, will be to crypto what GDPR was to privacy unless the United States comes to a whole of government approach to this industry. So that's a gap. And Europe, of course, is a friendly partner uh, to us, but nonetheless, it's, it's showing that it's a whole of government approach to the industry. And then lastly, China has a whole of government blockchain strategy and a production scale digital currency issued by its central bank and plugged into the WeChat Pay program that may already have up to 200 million users in it. Now, I'm not suggesting that the best model for the United States is to out China China, but I am suggesting that there is an entire country that has a parallel money transfer system and we have no alternatives at scale that are receiving the endorsement or the imprimatur of the federal government, that's a problem. Yeah, but I would say that I do think that uh, ultimately we need to take the best of all of these countries, right? You know, we, we're seeing parts of the European policy, parts of the Chinese policy, parts of what you're seeing in Singapore. Uh, we have an entity in Bermuda, we dealt directly with the Digital Assets Business Act and have found it to have the exact kind of clarity and transparency that I was talking about before. Um, so I think that we, there are examples out there. We're not just, it's not just white space. And I think that the whole of government approach that, that Dante just mentioned, when you can take from the best of what we're doing here in the United States and then what we've seen work in, in Europe, in Asia, in South America, in Bermuda, uh, will enable us to create a world-class system, regulatory regime around digital assets and web three. Kirsten, you want to add anything? You can take a pass. Sure, I know I'll add to that. I mean, I there's some countries people may not be following, like Germany. They just quietly last July, Bafin, Bundesfinanzministerium, put out a security token offering um, rule that also creates a secondary market for tokens that is not available in the US yet. And so I think what that highlights, and I think Liechtenstein as well has put out further clarity than we have now. And that's just a contrast when you look at the equities markets in the US where people from all around the world come here to invest in a highly regulated and clear equities market. By contrast, we're seeing people in the US migrating to other jurisdictions to invest perhaps in crypto ETFs, right? And until, I mean, it makes sense, right? That regulators want surveillance in the underlying cash crypto markets before they'll allow an ETF here. But it's just strange that money from the US is going to other jurisdictions. Yeah. Let me thank let me thank the the members of the panel. You've been great. Thank the uh, the congressman and thank Colin for uh, Mortimer for putting this together. Thank you all. You've been you've been terrific and uh, and thank the audience too. Thank you. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. Want to learn more about the Progressive Policy Institute? Follow us on Twitter at PPI and on Facebook at Progressive Policy Institute, or go to our website at progressivepolicy.org. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and check back for new episodes. We'll talk with you soon.